0: to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer, sitting in for Stephen Henderson, who's on vacation. With the new year comes new ambitions and new agenda items in Congress, but not every agenda is the same, of course. Most lawmakers in Washington say they want a deal to protect the children of undocumented immigrants through the DACA program. But it's unclear how and when that deal will come together. There's also some speculation as to when or if Republicans in Congress have the appetite for another crack at repealing Obamacare. Today on the program, we'll talk to a couple of our representatives in Congress, one Democrat and one Republican. Coming up a little bit later, we'll speak with Congressman Mike Bishop, Republican from Rochester, representing Michigan's 8th District. Uh, And also later in the program, too, on a different note, we will also speak with Robert Siegel, the retiring host of All Things Considered. He is signing off for the last time after 30 years on the air. That is a conversation that uh, you don't want to miss, so stick around for that. Uh, but we're going to kick things off today with Congressman Dan Kildee, a Democrat from Flint Township representing Michigan's 5th District. Congressman Kildee, welcome to Detroit Today.
1: Hey! Thanks for having me
0: on. Yeah, absolutely. So I believe today is the official start of the new con- or the the reconvening of Congress today. Um, although I know not everyone is there, but uh, starting this year off after the way that it ended last year, we had the sort of this budget showdown was one of the big things that was dominating headlines, and that didn't really get resolved. I mean, that sort of got kicked down the road. And also, on the other hand, Republicans getting their first major legislative win uh, with this tax overhaul. Um, what, what do you see as sort of the place that we're coming back into 2018 in Congress? Uh, what is the mood for, especially Democrats like yourself, in terms of uh, your expectations for what can get done in 2018?
1: Well, you know, with each year, we have to sort of recommit ourselves to being hopeful again. I will say that 2017 was a, was a tough year in a lot of ways. Um, there's a lot of talk about bipartisanship, but there was not as much as there should be. Uh, the, the tax plan, for example, you know, you'll hear Republicans say that there was no Democratic support for it. No member of Congress saw that bill. More than 48 hours before it went to the floor of the House, that's not bipartisanship. They wrote it, you know, in the basically in a back room. That's not a good start for 2018 to finish 2017, ramming through a bill that the ink was not even dry on. The provisions of that legislation are still unknown. Um, so that's not a good start. But we are all obligated to set as much of that aside as we can and roll up our sleeves and try to work together. Now, we've got some deadlines that are coming up, you know, in just a couple of weeks. The government runs out of money. This is the third time that Congress has kicked the can down the road and hasn't been able to get its work done on a budget. That's really job one. Uh, But we also have, have the Children's Health Insurance Program, which obviously is important. We've got this DACA issue that we really should deal with sooner rather than later. We've got problems in the Affordable uh, Care Act. Uh, the, the suspension of the uh, cost-sharing payments that help underwrite the cost of out-of-pocket expenses for people who uh, who receive health care, um, you know, through the Affordable Care Act. We've got a lot of big challenges, and uh, many of them are not going to be solved unless somehow Democrats and Republicans can get back to working together. I hope we can do that.
0: Yeah, and and it seems like any of those items that you just mentioned, I mean, it it, it seems very difficult to achieve any of those things at this point in the new year, 2017, I mean, it seemed like it was ex- extremely difficult for Republicans to move their agenda forward in most ways. But in many ways, it's even harder this year. We talked with Tamara Keith, the NPR White House correspondent yesterday, who said, look, you know, this is an election year. The political will to do big, controversial things in an election year diminishes their likelihood of passing. And on top of that, the the margins are narrower in the Senate. I mean, now, now they can only lose one vote on a lot of these issues. Uh, does that give you any sort of... Uh, expectation that bipartisanship is a real possibility in 2018, or does it does it make it uh, less likely, in your in your opinion, that just these things won't get done?
1: Well, this really comes down to the question of whether the Republican leadership will um, will stop applying the this sort of arcane system of of what, what they call the Hastert rule, named after former Speaker. Dennis Hastert, mm. which that's a rule that they apply to legislation. It's an informal rule. But what they say is that they won't bring a piece of legislation to the floor unless the majority of the Republican majority will support it. And, then, and I'll just give you, I think, probably the most important example of why that is, uh, I think, uh, wrong-headed thinking. The support for dealing with the so-called dreamers to codify uh, DACA is very strong in Congress. I most estimates say that we would have probably 300 votes for a DACA fix out of 435 member. Here's the problem. It would that 300 vote or so majority would come from every single Democrat and a very big number of Republicans, but right. not a majority of Republicans. Because of that, there's been a lack of willingness on the part of the Speaker to put that legislation on the floor. So, And the Senate would pass it as well. So just think about that.
0: Yeah. Well, a, this
1: majority is... of, a majority of the American people and a majority of Congress, both in the House and the Senate, are for something. But it never gets voted on because the Republican leadership in sort of this continued salute to Dennis Hastert, the former speaker who came up with this notion, they believe that they shouldn't vote on anything, even if a majority of Congress is for it, unless a majority of Republicans are for it. And that, to me, that undermines the very tenets of our democracy.
0: We went through something similar on the state level in the state legislature recently when Republicans co- took control there, that uh, there was the that the, they stuck to that same rule that a majority of their uh, th- that their caucus had to support something before they took a vote on that. Uh, and then, after a leadership change, that sort of went out the window because there were just these big issues like road funding, Medicaid expansion that could not pass without re- democratic support. Uh, and And it's sort of interesting that this happens when one party takes majority of all aspects of government. It seems like sometimes these things are even harder to pass and they start have to they, they start having to come up with sort of different, Philosophies on, on policy making to, to get them to happen. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see if something like that will happen on the federal level as well, especially now considering that those margins again are are, are narrowing. Uh, You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer, sitting in for Stephen Henderson, who's on vacation. We're speaking with Congressman Dan Kildee, a Democrat from Flint Township, representing Michigan's 5th District. We're talking about the year ahead in Congress and all of the issues that Congress will be dealing with, especially at the beginning of this year, whether it is DACA, whether it is Obamacare, uh, what's going to happen with this budget showdown that's going on right now. We really want to hear from you. What do you hope, gets done in Congress this year? What do you think uh, maybe doesn't get done in Congress this year? And what are your concerns about what are the issues that that most affect you? Uh, we want to hear from you. The number to call is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313 Five seven We'll get to your call soon. Uh, Congressman Kildee, I want to talk a little bit about this tax reform bill and uh, what it means here in Michigan. I know we've talked at length about this in the past, but we will be talking a little bit with Congressman Mike Bishop uh, after this uh, about this. So I wanted to give your get your take on what this means for Mich- Michiganders uh, in your estimation based on what we know right now.
1: Well, I'm concerned about it. I mean, this this was one of those opportunities that was really missed to do tax reform in a comprehensive way that was bipartisan. And it was not done that way. Uh, here, here's the basic problem. The corporate rates did need to come down because there was inherent unfairness in the way corporate rates were applied to different types of corporations. Many companies for example, have been able to use the tax code to actually nearly or completely eliminate their tax payments, while lots of small businesses were paying something closer to what was then the 35% tax rate. The whole idea was to reduce those rates by eliminating a lot of the so-called loopholes that companies have used to avoid paying taxes. So the idea was broaden the base by eliminating those loopholes and then bring down the overall rates so that it's more fair as between one type of business and another. They didn't do that. They brought down the rates, but they left intact all of those loopholes that allow some companies to reduce their tax obligations almost to zero, others to continue to have to pay their fair share. They offset that um, with a whole set of borrowings basically a trillion and a half dollars there is some change in the individual benefits but the individual tax rates two problems they disproportionately support people at the top of the economy the wealthiest people get the by far the biggest benefit and the individual benefits are temporary corporate changes are permanent individual benefits are temporary you know so I, I mean, if I were to debate a, a Republican member of Congress, I would say, look, let's start with our areas of agreement. The tax code needed to be changed. Mm-hmm. Corporate rates needed to be brought in line with what's going on around the world so that it's competitive. But what was failed, I think, was the opportunity to create more fairness within the tax code by doing the hard work and actually looking at those, all those specific provisions in the tax code that allow some companies and some individuals to benefit others not to. Almost none of that was done because this bill was written so fast. Uh, And I think it was a big lost opportunity. Mm. And it's going to cost us a lot because every economist, every economic analysis says that it'll add about a trillion dollars to the deficit. There are some who say, no, no, growth will overcome that. That's not what the experts, that's not what people who really study this say. Uh, And and I think we're getting into a period of time where experts are so dismissed because it doesn't fit the narrative that that some Republicans say, well, no, I just think there's going to be enough growth anyway, even if the experts don't think there will be to cover the cost of a trillion dollars of debt. Mm-hmm. Which is being, which we'll have to accept in order to have these tax codes go or
2: tax cuts go into effect.
0: Now, you know, we've heard a lot from Republicans recently and supporters of this tax plan that I mean, we've gotten a lot of criticism in the media about how,, uh, you know, this is being portrayed, that there's they're saying that there's not enough emphasis on the fact that most middle class families will see a significant tax reduction in a lot of families really do need that right now what what is your response to that kind of criticism of uh, crit- criticism of the criticism I suppose
1: well two things one it is true that many middle- class families will see some benefit that benefit will be very small many many middle class families will actually see their taxes go up as a result. I and mean, then that's just the factual analysis. That's just the I mean, bottom line.
0: It also depends on what you define as small. I mean, of course, especially for uh, a lot of families having an extra f- uh, several hundred dollars or a thousand dollars in their pocket, That's uh, that could be significant for a lot of people.
1: Well, it could be. I mean, I, I guess that's a point that is arguable. If it is a few hundred dollars over the course of a year, nobody's going to say no to that. But mm-hmm. when that is compared to uh, somebody making nine hundred thousand dollars a year, getting fifty or sixty or seventy thousand dollars benefit, or a hundred thousand dollars in benefits, and the fact that it will these cuts will force dramatic uh, cuts to domestic spending, so that that same family—let's just take that middle-class family they will get, say they get a few hundred dollars in tax relief, if they are paying any of their own health care costs, most estimates say because they included in the tax uh, bill an unrelated uh, uh, provision that eliminates a portion of the Affordable Care Act, most estimates are that because of that, premiums will go up about 10%. So mm-hmm. it's a it's a pretty um, uh, cynical argument for some of the supporters of this to make when people say they're going to get a tax cut, but the cost of health care is going to go up because of this tax bill mm-hmm. in a way that will be more than the benefit. And, and then secondly, if any of those families rely, for example, on Pell grants or student loans... Mm-hmm or any of those pro- or job training programs like if it's a worker getting retrained and because of the big budget hole that the tax bill blows in the federal budget those programs have to be eliminated mm-hmm. it's it's a pretty hollow victory to say hey here's a few hundred bucks but by the way you can't go to community college to yeah. get retrained for the next job and you can't get a pell grant to send your child to a uh, to a state college uh that's a pretty hollow victory. Mm.
0: yeah, let's hear from a caller on this uh, John in Pleasant Ridge. welcome to Detroit today. Hi, how are you? Very good, John, um, what do you have to say?
2: Well, looking at what
1: I know about the uh, the tax bill I'm going to lose a personal exemption. There's going to be a limit on the uh, on uh, real estate taxes and the, and the income tax deduction. It looks like my taxes are going to go up. By several thousand dollars under this bill Um, each year. I'm definitely, you know, I've got definitely got a middle class income, but unless there's something really different in it or some some hidden provision, just looking at those, it it looks like I'm
2: going to pay probably four or five thousand dollars more per year.
0: Wow, John, that's one of the more extreme examples I think that I've heard uh, on on this uh, on this. But that's a very interesting. Uh, call, and I really appreciate you calling in. Uh, uh, Dan, uh, I'm sorry, Congressman Kildee. Uh, no, you can call, yeah. me, oh, all right. call me Dan. <laughs> <laughs> we know each other well enough at this point. Uh, you know, what are you, are you hearing that from many of your constituents here about this bill?
1: Yeah. In fact, just about everywhere I go, people are doing, they're talking to their tax uh, you know, preparer, or they're doing the math themselves. And they're coming to the same conclusion that the caller just came to. Hmm. It sounds good. And in the abstract, you know, maybe people say, yeah, well, these rates are going down. But, you know, by by increasing the standard deduction, but offsetting that by eliminating the, uh, uh, the you know, the individual um, cost saving, or, uh, 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 exemptions that come in it actually kind of is a wash Mm. and then you look at the other provisions of the of the tax bill many people will end up paying more Mm. now i'm not the the problem with that is that it undermines the arguments that have been used many uh, uh, uh republicans including the president of the united states has said everyone gets a tax cut everyone it's just not true Mm-hmm. And pr- President Trump says the people at the very top, including himself, will not get a tax break. That's ridiculous. I mean, that is so beyond the pale. Um, so, you know, the, the, a lot of the narrative around this tax bill are, you know, is, is based on falsehood. And mm-hmm. people should really take a look at it. Okay, Some people will get a tax benefit. But what we're saying is if we were going to do this right, we would have done it in a way that anticipated all of these questions answered all the questions. And, and, and like, for example, one question to pose is, why did they leave intact tax breaks for oil and gas exploration, mm-hmm. but eliminate tax breaks for alternative energy development? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just a question that has to be answered. Yeah. Well, it's just a
0: We'll we'll get to, we'll hear from uh, Mike, Congressman Mike Bishop uh, right after this, and maybe he'll be able to address that that question. Um, but re- before we get go- before we have to end this off, Congressman Kildee, I want to ask you really quickly about uh, a issue that is near and dear to your district in Flint. Uh, the idea that this budget showdown could have big implications for pipe replacement in Flint. Uh, what's going on with that right now, and what is the status at this point of what's going on in Flint?
1: Well, I mean, obviously the recovery is ongoing, and I was able to, along with our our uh, Michigan delegation, get pretty substantial support for Flint's recovery through Congress just about a year ago. But the Children's Health Insurance Program is the program that delivers some of the support for Flint's recovery, including uh-huh. uh, some pipe replacement and other lead abatement in homes. And the fact that that children's health insurance program, which had traditionally been a bipartisan program, it was authored by Senator Kennedy and Senator Hatch, Democrat and a Republican, you know, many, many years ago. That is another one of those reauthorizations that just continues to get ignored. So whether it's dealing with the budget, dealing with CHIP, dealing with DACA, dealing with infrastructure, dealing with the problems in health care. You know, all of this has just essentially been ignored uh, just to get this tax bill through. And all of a sudden, we've got all these big problems. And the impact is going to be real. It's going to affect lots of Michiganders, and it's going to affect Flint's recovery. And there's just no excuse for not getting that work done and, and I'm hoping that some, you know, with, with a new year, you know, hope springs eternal. Maybe when we get back to work, we can get these things done. I'm going, to contri- I'm going to continue to try to do everything I can and work across the aisle to see that it happens. Mm.
0: Congressman Dan Kildee, Democrat from Flint Township, representing Michigan's 5th District. Thanks so much for joining Detroit today. We have so much that we could talk about today, but we'll have to end it there. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. All right. Coming up, we'll hear from Republican Mike Bishop, a Republican from Rochester, about his thoughts on the coming year in Congress. Stay tuned.
1: Your city. Your town. Your voice. 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station.
0: You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer. I'm sitting in for Stephen Henderson today, who's on vacation. And we're talking about the year ahead in Congress. We just heard from Democratic Congressman Dan Kildee from Flint about his legislative priorities in 2018. Now we want to return. Or now we want to turn to a Republican member of Michigan's congressional delegation to talk about what he hopes will get done in 2018 and where we're starting. What kind of note we're starting here in 2018? Congressman Mike Bishop is a Republican from Rochester, representing Michigan's eighth district. Congressman Bishop, welcome to Detroit today.
2: Good morning. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, so you heard a little bit from uh, Congressman Kildee, who uh, definitely has uh, a difference of opinion with you, I would say, on the tax reform bill that sort of ended uh, 2017 and sort of set the tone for the coming into the new year. I want to get your take on this tax overhaul, and what, do you, what would you say it does for the average Michigander?
2: Well, I think, especially when it comes to the uh, Michigan and the Michigan economy, uh, that has been ailing for so long. We've seen a good rebound, but uh, we can do so much better. And a lot of our, uh, our, a lot of our, our uh, citizens are unemployed and need a job, and we need to get this economy back up and running again. We simply can't do it by just accepting the status quo. So, uh, this job, this uh, tax overhaul, was absolutely necessary and uh, was long overdue. It's been 31 years, and it will deliver uh, tax relief to just about every family. Uh, in 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 the state and across the country at a time when everybody needs it, and it it will also in, it will also create an environment where 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 job creators want to to create more jobs, invest more in their business, invest more in their employees, and uh, really uh, boost this economy, which I think uh, you you just can't argue with. And I know I know Dan um, has reservations about uh, some some of the provisions, but as a whole. This was the right step to take, and nothing is perfect. I I agree he's got some concerns, and uh, I understand where he's coming from. But we have got to understand that this country, um, we, we are way behind. In, in the world when it comes to our economic environment, and we are falling so far behind that we're putting ourselves in jeopardy of, of of permanently falling behind, we just can't do that.
0: Now, you know, let's talk a little bit at least about what even conservative economists are saying right now, though. I mean, I think timing of this bill has been something that a lot of conservatives uh, not in Congress have uh, questioned that, look, you know, I know you say that We have a lot of unemployed people here in Michigan. Uh, but nationally, and even here in Michigan, Republicans like Governor Snyder would say, "Look, our unemployment rate is actually very low. We're close to full employment right now." Um, you know, if this would have passed a couple years ago, then you know that's one thing. But uh, the the impact of it, uh, see, you know, at least what we've heard from conservative economists is not what it would have been if uh, we would have seen this before. And 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 this timing of it's not. This isn't a time where we ex- where we need. Need to uh, spur the economy as much as uh, Republicans in Congress are saying. What is your response to that criticism?
2: Well, I, I completely disagree with that because the unemployment rate does not include the underemployed. It does not include mm. those who uh, simply have given up on, on a job and rely on uh, government assistance.
0: That is true. And, yep.
2: and we simply can't. We, we can't accept it. Uh, it the, the, this, uh, this notion that somehow. Uh, we we have rebounded and everything's a okay now is is dangerous. We we've got to continue to, to improve and um, I think Michigan has done a great job and I, I love to see what's happening in Detroit the rebound Detroit is making. But we can we can make it better and we can put people to work who really want to work but have just lost the hope in doing so.
0: Yeah, uh, let's let's talk about one other point that uh, we've heard from even conservatives that this was a missed opportunity in many ways to actually simplify the tax code. I know that uh, the supporters of the bill say that it, it simplified the tax code, but uh, you know we heard from. Uh, from other economists and also Republican, sorry, Democratic Congressman Dan Kildee just now talking about how uh, we didn't see the elimination of loopholes, making it fair between businesses. We didn't see uh, the kind of simplification that Republicans have wanted for a long time, and not just Republicans, even some Democrats as well. Uh, did you, do you see that as something in this bill that uh, could have been better or that you uh, sort of had to compromise on?
2: Well, you know, there are a lot of things that uh, when we originally started this, first of all, this started six years ago, mm-hmm. this process. And the the Republican House put out a uh, blueprint on what we'd like to see in this. And one of the provisions in 2016 when we started this blueprint was that we'd like to be able to uh, give folks the opportunity to file their tax return in a, such a simplified form that you could do it on a postcard. And we've preserved that for nine out of ten Americans, they'll still be able to do that, and um, we've taken 70,000 pages of convoluted, uh, a complete train wreck of an IRS code and regulations, and and have swept that away and adopted a plan that's far more convenient, far more straightforward, and uh, will, will 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 simplify for most Americans. So I. I had, disagree with those who uh, are concerned about the fact that uh, it's not as simple as it could be. Certainly, we'd like to make it more simple, but in order to, to um, negotiate a final outcome, we did add back certain provisions. For example, we did add back certain provisions when it came to students. We wanted to make sure that they got a credit for tuition, tax, tuition taxes and, and for graduate students who get uh, waivers for, for their employment. Uh, we also wanted to make sure those who had high medical bills were able to to use that deduction uh, as well. There are any a number of, of issues that we added back in to ensure that we hit the right demographic of middle and lower income. The family child credit, uh, which was doubled, will help families tremendously. And those who have uh, dependent care uh, uh, concerns, maybe they have a grandparent living at home or a parent living at home uh, that they need uh, help with, that was preserved. Um, the mortgage interest deduction was preserved so that people who own a home can continue to uh, d- uh, deduct the, the interest from their, their mortgage. There are a number of things that we added back in because we knew that if we if we remove them, it would hit the demographic uh, in, a, in a negative way that we're trying to help, which is the, the middle and lower income earners.
0: Mm. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer. I'm sitting in for Stephen Henderson, who's on vacation this week. And we're speaking with Congressman Mike Bishop, a Republican from Rochester who represents Michigan's 8th District. We're talking about the year ahead in Congress. We just heard from Democratic Congressman Dan Kildee from Flint about his expectations and what he hopes to get done. And of course, now we're talking with uh, Congressman Bishop, a Republican, about what he, as a member of the majority uh, in Congress, can hope they, they can get done. And one of those things, Congressman Bishop that we keep hearing about is entitlement reform and moving forward with programs, Medicaid, Medicare, a lot of the things that really need uh, some attention right now in terms of uh, making sure that their future is uh, guaranteed. I'm curious what you think uh, of the efforts to move on to entitlements right now and what you hope gets done in in that category.
2: Well, I just want to assure your listeners that uh, there is no effort afoot right now to try and take away any benefits that people have earned uh, over the years. There is, there's not a a, a uh, proposal on the table right now that would do that. And I don't want a lot of times people get scared about this because they live, they've budgeted their their life and their retirement uh, regarding the you know their their um, their Social Security or their Medicare, and we want to make sure those people know that uh, that that's not the target here. The target is, however, trying to figure out how to make this uh, those entitlement programs sustainable for uh, the out years. And uh, experts say that uh, if we don't do something to, to shore those up, we're going to be in, in trouble in, in the years to come. So uh, how we do that is part of the, uh, the agenda of the Ways and Means Committee, which I'm a member mm-hmm. of. Um, and we will be discussing that, and we have been discussing that, um, on ways that we can preserve the, the benefits for those that are, are collecting right now and address the the, the overall long term uh, concerns um, in the future. So we've got we've got that all queued up and ready to go this year. Uh, we'll do that, and uh, we're uh, we're going to do that right away. In fact, uh, as we we go into 2018.
0: So, uh, what are some of the things being discussed right now, especially considering? uh the fact that i mean in the near term we're looking at uh, and we, something that we've seen over several years now is the difficulty in passing a budget year over year uh this year is no different than that the fact that uh, now our our deficit is is large and it's expanding uh what is what does that mean for entitlements moving forward if you expect to preserve the benefits that people have already earned how do you address that
2: well we we have fewer uh, workers out there for every beneficiary. That's that's the problem. And as the baby boomers grow uh, larger and larger into retirement, it, the problem becomes more difficult. So there's, we're going to have to address how, uh, what, at what age we collect our benefits, we start to collect our benefits, if we phase that in, how we do that. Um, but what, we, what we're going to do is we're going to have a long time to be able to uh, put ideas on the table to debate them and, and give folks an opportunity to, to weigh in on, on, on how best to, to resolve the issue. We have substantial budget issues in this country. Uh, we've got a, a, an enormous debt that needs to be addressed, a growing deficit, and um, it's all part of the overall discussion. This is not, you know, in a in a vacuum that we can solve these issues. We've got a we have to, we have, to have a holistic approach in how we how we do this, and part of it is good government, and part of it is uh, responsible government and how we budget. And we've got to be more responsible with the way we uh, we spend our, our the taxpayer dollars.
0: You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer. I'm sitting in for Stephen Henderson, who's on vacation. I'm speaking with Congressman Mike Bishop, a Republican from Rochester, representing representing Michigan's eighth district. And uh, Congressman Bishop, uh, I want to talk a little bit about one other thing that was a huge priority for you and for Republicans not just last year after you took control of all aspects of federal government, but uh, even before that through the Obama years. And, of course, that was repealing and replacing the Affordable Care Act Uh, The fact that the GOP hasn't been able to approve a comprehensive plan to do that, uh, are you frustrated at this point? And do you see an opening to do that in an election year and when the margins, especially in the Senate, uh, are narrowing uh, for Republicans? And it's even tougher, it seems like, to get this kind of legislation through.
2: Well, it's really a tragedy that we have to look at this as a Republican issue. Um, Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, is collapsing. and there are some states that have a single provider and are in jeopardy of losing that. And if that happens, there will be uh, thousands of, of, of people who have health care right now who will not have health care. So this is a, an American urgent uh, crisis situation, and it should mean all hands on deck. It shouldn't be just Republicans. And um, I believe that there is a... a a reasonable solution that will be emerging here in the near future. Um, I, I can't tell you exactly when that will be, but I do believe that uh, there are enough of us who believe that this has got to get done. That that uh, there will be a deal that comes out of it. I I am part of the the uh, a group um, called uh, the, uh, the the um, um, we're, we're a group of bipartisan um, legislators. There are 40 of us in Congress. And we have come together for the purpose of putting a bipartisan, bipartisan solution on healthcare infrastructure and a bunch of other issues so that we can, we can initiate discussion without a, a partisan uh, moniker next to it, which has killed off so much. We need to come together. This is a time to, to, to come together. So um, I, I'm hoping that the group that we have will be able to get some traction in Congress and stop talking about whose initiative this, it is. But healthcare is personal to all of us and to all of our families, and it's skyrocketing in cost.
0: And would you be willing to give up some of your sort of uh, more uh, maybe the conservative uh, ideals when it comes to how to address the Affordable Care Act? I think that if if you're talking about reaching across the aisle, if you're talking about getting Democrats involved in in passing something a fix, I would say for the the health care system in the United States, it seems like you're going to have to compromise on on a number of uh, issues that seem to be important to Republicans.
2: Well, it's, that's the very purpose of, of the problem solvers, the group that I'm, I'm speaking of. It's, uh, we're, we're trying to identify what those issues are. I'm, mm. I'm not so sure that people understand. We are so bitterly divided in the partisan side that we've almost become no out of the gate. And I, I don't care what party, you're, on, what party you, you're affiliated with. If your solution is just to say no to the other side, we will go nowhere. So uh, we've got to come up with ideas and uh, we've got to be able to compromise on something and do it quickly because uh, this, is a, this is a major part of of our society and making sure that everybody um, is attended to and that those issues of health care are addressed and we can't continue to ignore it.
0: Yeah, I, I quickly want to get to the phones here. Uh, Carolyn in Royal Oak, welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Hi, good morning. Mike, I'm glad you're there and thank you. Uh, We know that whether we're talking about infrastructure or healthcare,
1: preventive
2: stuff is going to save money, and to me, something that's going to save money is a universal single payer, because we, we can cut the overhead. What do
0: you think about that, Mike? <laughs> yeah, uh, Carolyn, I really appreciate that call. Congressman Bishop, uh, you know, we were talking about compromises on health care. That would be quite a compromise on your part to, yeah, to embrace that. 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 But what do, you, what do you think of that? I mean, there's, there's certainly a uh, growing sentiment, especially uh, for, for a lot of people who are on the left here, that that's the way to go. What's your, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, in a, in a perfect world, um, having a system like that would be the solution. The problem is that when you start talking about how to pay for a solution like that, you cannot, uh, I've seen the numbers on this, even California figured this out. You can tax every citizen in this country 100% of their income and still not be able to pay for a single-payer system. I have not seen a proposal that uh, would be any different in terms of the outcome and the cost. So I I know that that's uh, a proposal out there, but until... We've got to be real. We we can't come up with solutions that are unrealistic. We, they they just don't work. And I I'm not really convinced that uh, that uh, that uh, government is the the right solution here. I mean, mm. look at the VA. If you want to see how uh, government runs healthcare, look at the VA. Uh, it's a mess. Mm. And uh, we really need to go back to a system that allows patients to have control of their own their own health care and, and have a personal relationship with their health care provider. Yeah. We've just completely left that.
0: Well, Congressman Mike Bishop, we, we have a lot of things we could talk about today, and uh, unfortunately we have to leave it there, but I really appreciate you uh, joining us today on Detroit Today to talk a little bit about uh, where we're at in Congress right now. Thanks so much.
2: Of course. Thank you yep. so much.
0: Congressman Mike Bishop, Republican from Rochester, representing Michigan's 8th District. Coming up, we're going to talk to NPR's Robert Siegel, who retires this week after 30 years as host of All Things Considered.